You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, Coming Home. This series explores the invitation God extends to us, not an invitation to follow a list of rules, but to find rest for our souls. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, if you're new with us this morning, um, we are starting off a Coming Home series, the two-week series And when I say series, all I mean is that it's two weeks. We're going to talk about the same uh, passage in the Bible or the same theme. And uh, you may be here this morning because you saw an invitation that looked like this. And somebody invited you to church this morning. And uh, man, good for them if they did and good for you for coming. Or uh, maybe you just found us online and you kind of stumbled upon us that way. But uh, really in this two-week series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this story that Laura read to us. And in this story, it's the story of a father who has two sons. And A pretty basic story, one you've probably heard before. You know, one father has two sons. One does good and one does bad. And uh, one of the sons, the younger son, uh, left his father's house at a young age and then uh, ends up coming back. An older son was always with the father. And uh, like the youngest always does, we're going to give privileges to the youngest son, talk about him first today. And then uh, we'll talk about the older son next week. And I I really relate to this younger son because he... He was uh, a son that, although he grew up in his father's house, he ended up uh, getting this kind of feeling of, I want to get out and I want to do my own thing. Although he grew up in his father's house and he ate with his father and he obeyed his father and he did what his father told him and he was a good son to his father, he hit a point in his life, uh, a fork in the road, you might say, where he was like, you know what, I just want to kind of get out of my father's, I want to get out from under him, I want to get out from under his shadow, I want to go and do my own thing. And I remember a time like that in my life. Um, It was called college. And uh, I moved from St. Joseph, Missouri to here to St. Louis and was going to University of Missouri, St. Louis and uh, getting ready to start my nursing degree. And I was stoked to to get out of my house. I was stoked to get out of my hometown. It's not because it was bad per se, but I was just having that itch, you know, that itch to like get out there and make your own. And I was like, come on, I just want to go do something. But this, this younger son, I can relate to him. And in my college days, I uh, was going to school to do something exciting that I was passionate about. I was uh, going to the dorm rooms and even remember what I packed to my dorm room, which was uh, the only thing that I owned, which was like clothes at that time, and uh, packed up my awesome Mercury Sable and, uh, you know, was rolling into St. Louis like, man, I'm the coolest guy in school. And, uh, you know, I remember I had a little box of food, which was precious to me. It had my Top Ramen. It had my Easy Mac. It had my little plastic uh, microwavable omelet maker, which if you've never had an omelet out of a plastic microwavable omelet maker, it is uh, something to never eat in your life. It's, it tastes like the plastic. It just kind of melted into the eggs. And uh, I was a meathead, so I loved my eggs. You know, I'd eat six a day and then some at night. And man, I tell you, I probably am going to get cancer from that plastic. So pray, pray for me for sure. Um, it's not good, but I was coming into the dorm room and I was excited and I had friends that I was meeting and people that I was going to get to socialize with and kind of do the college thing. And I remember that night, the night that I moved in, uh, I um, was hanging out with my friends and I went into my room and I shut the door behind me and I look at this dorm room, which you would think I would just be ecstatic about like, oh, I finally have my freedom. But I closed my dorm room door and I look into this room and I just this kind of depression set over me. And I was just like, man, I miss home. Like, I miss my mom. I miss my dad. I miss 
uh, my family. I miss my room. I miss my bed. And uh, I kind of had this feeling of like, although this is my house per se now, it's not my home. And, uh, you know, it's kind of home, home is where the heart is and there's no place like home. There's no place like home. I kind of was doing that Dorothy thing, you know, just if I can, if I can get back there, then things will be good. But I kind of had to settle into this reality that this is homesickness I'm feeling. And, and I'm just kind of feeling separated from what I know and what I love. And I say all that to say that the Bible says that in this life, and I really believe this to be true, that we are not at home here on this earth, but that we have a greater home in heaven. And that's really what God has for us together. And this story is the story of a son who left home and felt homesick. And he came home and he found a real home with his father in heaven. So I want to look into the story a little bit and look at how did we get separated from this home that we have in heaven? How did we get separated? Well, for many years, the younger son, the prodigal son, acted as a good, loving son. He actually would have, you would have thought that he was a son who loved his father because he did all the right things. All the, all the story tells us is that a father had two sons, which would make you think there was no strife, there was no conflict. It was just a good household thing that was going on. And yet there was this point in the son's life where he hit this fork in the road where he realized, I, I think I could have the father's things and I wouldn't even have to have my father anymore. Where he hit this point in his life where he realized, I think I could have my father's wealth. I think I could have my father's possessions. I think I could have my father's blessing. I think I could have all the kind of things that I want in life and I wouldn't even have to put up with this old man anymore. I could kind of just get on and do my own thing. And in this story, what this son does is he goes to this father and he says, Father, give me my inheritance now. And maybe you've been in the church and you, maybe you were raised in the church, you've been in the church for a long time now, or maybe you were raised in a Christian home and you're kind of like this son. You were in your father's house and you've kind of spent time in the father's house and you've memorized your scriptures and you've served and you've given and you've kind of done the Christian thing and you've tried out God and you felt like, man, God just didn't work for me. Like I just wasn't jiving with the whole God thing. And you hit this point in your life where you realized, I think I can have the father's things. I think I could have that family that I've always wanted. I think I could have that life that I've always wanted. I think I could have the wealth or the career that I've always wanted. And I wouldn't even have to have this man anymore. I wouldn't have to have this God kind of lording over me or this father who's telling me what to do. And you, had, you hit this fork in the road in your life where you realized, I can have the father's things and I don't even have to have the father. And what happens in that moment is that our true motivation gets revealed, right? Like the thing that we've always felt, the thing that we've always wanted, and we hit that moment where we can have what we want and we don't have to do this other thing. What, really, what it really shows us is that the father was never the thing that the son wanted. The son always wanted the father's things. He was just using the father. And he still used the father to get what he wanted instead of getting the father himself. And you know what about this father? You know, most fathers, especially, especially a patriarchal father like this, they would have smacked their son in the face. They would have said, son, you get out of my house. Because to say, dad, give me my inheritance now was to say, you're dead to me. I don't care about you, old man. I don't care about being under your roof anymore. I don't love you. I don't respect you. I don't want to be with you anymore. To say, give me my inheritance now, because the inheritance only comes when death comes. It's to say, you're dead to me and I'm done with you. It's to rescind his sonship. And you know what this father did? Most fathers would have beat him and sent him out. Get out of my house. Never here again. This father actually divided up his wealth and sent the son on his way. 
He let the son go. And you know what? God will let us go if we want to go. You know, if you feel like Christianity is this thing where God's just lording over everyone and just making everyone do what he wants them to do, and he doesn't give free choice, but Christianity is this, this, this faith about you just have to be a robot, it's actually not the case. God didn't create robots. God created people. And he created sons that he gave the option. You can walk under my roof or you can go and do your own thing. And he's actually so gracious that he would even let you have his things. We could think, we could deceive ourselves. I'm still kind of under the Father's roof because I have blessing and I have wealth or I have health or I have have good things in life. Still think maybe I'm still good with God. But actually we left the Father a long time ago. St. August... Augustine, in his book Confessions, called this a disordered love. He said, when you, when you put what is inferior into a superior place, it's a disordered love. So, any, so think about it this way. If you were, everyone knows that people are more valuable than things, right? Like, you, you don't put possessions above your family because possessions don't have that sort of value. You put family above possessions. So if, you, if you're going after material wealth or success or achievement in your life, above your own family, you know that that's wrong. It's a, it's a disordered love, as Augustine would say. That's why when someone's on their deathbed and you ask them, what do you wish that you would have done? Just a little different. They never say, oh, I wish I would have had one more dollar. I wish I would have had one more million. I wish I would have done one more business deal. I wish that I would have made a better name for myself. No, 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 that's a young man's ambition. No man on his deathbed is saying, I wish I would have made a better, no, no, no. What they're saying is, I wish I would have invested in my family. I wish I would have given more time to my wife. I wish I would have been there for my kids. I wish I would have given more money to the poor. I wish that I would have given more away to people. It's a disordered love if you put things before people. In the same way, it's a disordered love if we put people or things above God. Now you might say, now Dylan, I don't know if I worship people or things above God. Like, you know, you're, you're saying that maybe I could worship money or I could worship good things like sex or a job or food. It's like, yeah, maybe you're saying that, but like, you know, Dylan, I'm not like singing songs to my ham sandwich. Like, I like my ham sandwich, but I'm not like singing hallelujah over my ham sandwich. You're like, blessed be the ham sandwich. But worship is just that you ascribe value to something and that you, you, you consider it worthy of your affection or your praise or your attention. But if you consider even relationships, even good things like family above God himself, it's a disordered love. Consider their honor, their affection, their praise, their affirmation. It's disordered. And it ruins a relationship with the people because they were never meant to fill that void in our hearts that was created for God himself. People were never meant to fulfill that. Things were never meant to fulfill that. A reputation for ourselves was never meant to fulfill that. And it never can. It will always be there. We could chase and chase and chase and chase and chase. And we will end up at the end of our lives saying it's all empty and it's all vain. That's why men who win the the Super Bowl, at the end of the Super Bowl, quarterbacks are saying things like, what's next? Like, I thought this was it. Like, I thought once I got that, like, that was it. I I would have what I've always wanted. But they get the Super Bowl trophy and they're in their room and they have all the fame, all the women, all the attention they could ever want, all the money. They've reached their highest dream. And then they think, well, I guess I have to win another Super Bowl and then I'll be happy. No, no, it's not going to work. It never has worked. It never will work. It's a disordered love and it leaves us empty. 
leaves us completely empty and void. I remember in my life there was a time where I had the Father's things. Now, I never won the Super Bowl. I never had a million dollars. I never, uh, that'd be an interesting story if I had, but I hadn't. And, but I had what I wanted. And I had a life that a lot of people around me thought was a good life. I had friends. I had relationships. I had the future that I wanted. I had the life set up that I thought was going to really make me happy. And I remember this day. I remember this specific day where I was actually doing one of the things that I thought, this is the thing that's going to make me like, really feel fulfilled as a man. And I remember in that moment, this darkness set over me and this sense of a void within me set over me. I remember thinking to myself, what is this? Like, what is this emptiness? What is this hole in my heart, per se? And what do I do to fill that? And if we're honest, the things that we go after, just like this younger son, the things that we go after when we take things over the Father, they always leave us feeling like that. And the more we go after them, the more they make us feeling like that. And we could even have an ascribed Christian faith where we feel totally empty and totally void inside. And why is it? It's because we're not looking to God to satisfy those desires. But we're looking to these things or these people. And the question for us today is, are we going to come home? Or are we going to continue living this life where we've left the Father's house and we just stay where we're at? Are we going to come home today? Maybe you realize you love the Father's things more than you love the Father. And you, you hear the Father calling you home today. So what do you do? Verse 17, let's look back at the story. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. You see, repentance is the key to coming back home. If you want the love of God to just explode in your life, you want the love of God to just detonate like a bomb in your life, that it just floods everything that you're doing, repentance is the key. Repentance is what the younger son did that allowed him to come home. Now you and I, we, I don't know about you, but I tend to read this story and all I hear is, you know, the father's so good. He just kind of sweeps it under the rug. He just kind of says, you know what, let bygones be bygones. My son is back and I'm glad. That's kind of how I read this story. And I kind of think, to myself, you know, the Christian life is like that. Like, just let bygones be bygones and, and, and don't really have to think about anything else. But the thing that detonated the father's love in this story was that the son repented. And repentance is really simple and it's really easy to understand, although it's not so easy to do. It says here that the son, first step of repentance, is that he came to himself. First step of repentance is to come to our senses. It's to snap out of it. It's to snap out of this thought that I can do it all on my own. It's to snap out of this thought that I can make my life for myself. This son, he came to his senses. He admitted that he was wrong. He's feeding pigs. And he's wishing I could eat the food that the pigs are eating. And he comes to his senses and he realizes, life's better with my father. Even as a servant, life's better with my father. And he admits to himself, I was wrong. I was wrong to think I could do it on my own. It's the first step of repentance. The second step of repentance. Verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. Repentance simply means that you're going one way and you turn. You go another way. Step one was, I was wrong. Step two is, he turned and he went to his father. If you were going to repent today, all you'd have to do is admit, I was wrong. And then turn, go to your father. 
The amazing thing about this story, though, it's not how the son responds. It's not the life and the story of the son that's incredible. It's the life and the story of the father that's incredible. Salvation or being redeemed to our father in heaven. It's something that he initiates and he completes and he does. The son, the reason the son came to his senses is because he realized, my father's pretty amazing. I wish that I was back in my father's house. He finally realized, oh, it really is better with father. And he came back to his father. And then the father does the most remarkable thing you could possibly imagine. When the son says, give me mine. You know what the father says in return? Scripture says he divided up his wealth. Now, this was a very difficult thing to do. It's a very difficult thing to do uh, beyond just going to the bank and saying, hey, give me a third of my wealth, and I'm going to give it to my younger son who's leaving my family. It's difficult because all of his wealth was caught up in the land that he owned or the property that he had. And so he didn't, ha- he didn't go to the bank or the ATM because they didn't have those back then. What he had to do is he had to sell his ancestral land. Now, if you know anything about this day and time, that's a little harder than it would be even for us if I had like a land of, uh, a plot of land that I could hunt on and fish on, which I would love to do all those things. I would love to have that plot of land. It would be hard for me to sell a third of that if I had it. It was even harder for this father to sell the land that he had because it was ancestral land. What that means is that his ancestors and their ancestors and their ancestors They had memories, they had life, they had themselves tied up into the identity of this land. To help us understand it a little more, I I heard of this musical, Oklahoma. You heard of it? I hadn't before this week. I'm glad you have. There's a line in the song, and it says, Oh, we know we belong to the land, and the land we belong to is grand. Notice that it doesn't say, Oh, The land that belongs to us, how grand is the land that belongs to us? No, no, it says the land we belong to. The land we belong to is grand. You see it? They belong to the land. It it helps if you look at the Greek word here because the Greek word for land, the Greek word for this property that the father had is bios or life. Literally, the father's life was tied up in this land that he had to sell because his arrogant son wanted to leave his house. You see how the father's gracious to the son all through the story? The, the father literally ripped apart his life. He ripped apart his bios. He tore apart his ancestral land so that there was hope, just hope, of his son one day returning to him. Just even the hope of his son returning. He didn't know if he would. He just thought, if I, if I act like this to him, maybe one day he'll come to his senses and come home to me. You know, this story is called the story of the prodigal son. And prodigal is an adjective that means recklessly extravagant and having spent everything. It's called the story of the prodigal son because the son was recklessly extravagant and he spent everything that the father had. But if you look at this story a little closer, if you just kind of zoom in on the way that the father is, you see that it's actually the story of the prodigal God. It's the story of a God who is recklessly extravagant. It's the story of a God who is reckless in his love and who spent everything for this son whom he loved, this son whom disobeyed him, this son who left his house. You know, 2,000 years ago, there's a man named Jesus who came into the world. 
And John 3.16 tells us that this man, Jesus, was sent by the Father. This Father that we're reading about, Jesus is telling us about this Father. This Father, His precious Son, His only Son, His beloved Son. John 3.16 in our Bibles, it tells us that God so loved the world, He loved you and He loved me, that He gave this Son. That whoever believed in Him would have life. And wouldn't perish. What that says is that God, the Father, was so reckless that He gave the most precious thing in the entire world to Him, the life of His Son, that Jesus could hang on that cross, that He could rip His life apart for us, that you and I could have life and we could come to Him today. You know, some sons are like this son, and they come to their senses. And they repent and they go back to their father. My question for you today is, will you be like this son? If you've you've left your father's house and you know you've left your father's house, would you come to your senses today? And if God is bringing you to your senses, would you repent? Would you turn and come to your father in heaven? Because he invites you today. Revelation, the book of Revelation, it tells us that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone would so let him enter, he would enter. But all you have to do is open the door to him. You know, this father, what we see in this story is not a father who's waiting inside, angry at his son, frustrated at his son, rehearsing in his head a speech about what he's going to tell his son when his son comes home. I'm going to tell him that he shouldn't do that. I'm going to tell him how disrespectful it was. I'm going to let him feel how much pain that was to me. I'm going to let him feel how much shame he caused me. I'm going to let my son have it. We don't see a father who acts like that. Yeah, yeah, he lets his son in, but he acts like that. This father just waiting inside. If he comes back, if he comes back, if he comes back. And what we see is a father who's looking He's looking for his son. He's waiting for his son. He's rehearsing in his head the speech he's going to give when his son returns. But it's not a speech of condemnation. It's a speech of grace upon grace upon grace. And you know, you may be that lost son. And in even thinking about coming home, you're thinking, I don't know what my father's going to say. I don't know what the church is going to say. I don't know what fellow Christians are going to say. I don't know what people are going to say when I tell them what I've done or where I've been. I'm here to tell you, our Father is this Father. And the reason Jesus is telling this story is because there are Pharisees, religious elite of that day, who are looking at him and saying, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. How dare he? He associates with the lowest. Yeah, he did. That's the very people he came to save. If you're feeling like I'm the lowest of the low, you don't know what I've done, man, Jesus came for you. How did he come? He came for you with all his love, with all his life. He gave everything he had to have you because he longs for you. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
That's how the Father responds to you today. But let us never forget that the reason we're accepted by our Father like this is because Jesus made it possible for us. We get the best robe because He was stripped naked. We get the ring on our hand because Jesus got a crown of thorns. We get shoes on our feet because Jesus had nails driven through His. We get the Father's love and acceptance and grace because Jesus had His full wrath on that cross. Do you know that when Jesus hung on the cross, it wasn't just a physical hanging? It wasn't just that they nailed his hands and his feet into a wooden cross and left him hanging there to die, although they did that. It wasn't just that all his friends rejected him. It wasn't just that the entire town gathered around him, rejecting him and yelling at him and mocking him. It wasn't just all those things, although it was all those things. Did you know that on that cross, it says the Father crushed him? Isaiah tells us that he bore our iniquities and he was chastised, that we could have peace. Pretty amazing what he did for us. And he comes today. He comes. He's living. He's alive. He's in this room by his spirit. He's calling every son home. He's saying, come home to your father. Father's waiting for you. 